Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. Well, it takes a lot to get me to work on a Saturday, but getting a phone call from the road from this guy will do it. We are joined here by Governor Ron DeSantis, who is in my neck of the woods here in Iowa campaigning as we speak. Governor, it is good to have you with us, brother. Happy Saturday to you. How are you? We're doing good. We've knocked out a handful of counties today. I got a couple more, and we'll end up having hit uh, 80 of the 99 counties as of uh, Saturday night. So we're obviously definitely going to do the 99. We'll be the only candidate that does it. Probably going to save kind of the 99th till we get closer to the caucus, uh, get some fanfare out of that. But it's been great. I mean, we've had great turnout. I mean, we're in areas where there are only a few hundred people that caucus uh, in certain counties, and I'll get a hundred over a hundred people showing up for some of our retail stops. So I think that there's a lot of uh, I think the interest is starting to pick up in what we're doing. And what I find is people kind of know me; they know I've been a good governor. But when they can hear it from the horse's mouth, we get a lot of people to sign up. So it's uh, it just shows that this process, the hard work, does pay off if you if you got the message and you have the record. Uh, when people see that, they uh, they respond positively. You know, your, your your race is a unique challenge. And, you know, obviously you're a well-known figure with a phenomenal record in Florida. And so people, I, I know some of your more ardent supporters are wondering, I mean, w- this should be a very easy case to make. But you have to remember you're running against a guy, although he's not an incumbent, he basically is. And you yourself have acknowledged, uh, you know, while there were still undelivered promises overall prior to COVID, Trump was a fairly decent president to good, and then he allowed that event and really the events of that year from George Floyd and riots and everything else to essentially disintegrate his presidency, which set the stage for where we are now. But it's natural for people to say, well, shouldn't we give that guy a second chance? I see you getting a lot of questions about why should we vote for you over Donald Trump? And now that this week and the events and the tragedy in Israel, of course, and the attacks there, but it has provided you an opportunity to step up and behave as a president would. And this gives people an opportunity, don't you think, Ron, to see you now as not the governor of Florida, but what a president DeSantis would look like? Yeah, look, I think that there's a lack of leadership in this country. I think there's a lack of leadership in all of our domestic affairs. We see the the open border, which the Israel attacks really remind us of how vulnerable our ruling class has left us with that. Uh, we have all the economic problems, which started with covid the lockdowns and the borrowing and printing of money. None of these people in Washington have ever acknowledged their complicity in putting us into the mess we are now. Uh, that needs to be changed. And then you look at how uh, we're, we're getting involved internationally and with a very weak president. So I think you see all those things. And then, of course, in the House of Representatives with uh, an inability to even select a speaker, uh, they haven't really gotten very much done at all with, with the slim majority that they have. Uh, people are looking at it and they're just like, man, um, it seems like there's all kind of problems. There's a constant chaos and drama. I think what I represent is somebody who can bring order to all that by providing strong leadership, uh, but executing and delivering on the things that, that we actually need to get done. I mean, we can have great campaign slogans. We can do all that. Uh, but we've got the election, first of all, but more importantly than that, once you get that opportunity, uh, you got to go, you got to strike. We've got all these fronts that we've got to hit uh, and you got to be ready to go. When people ask me about about Trump is, you know, this is a different Donald Trump than 2016. Uh, 2016 was freewheeling. He's letting her rip. He's doing all that. This Trump 
is really focused on himself. Uh, a lot of his grievances, like what he did with Netanyahu to mm-hmm. be attacking him, that was all personal, had nothing to do with the larger issues. Um, but then also very much went into the teleprompter in when he gets off the teleprompter, either doing interviews or, or ad-libbing on the stump. He ends up really stepping in it. I mean, I had a tough time arguing whether a man can become a woman. He said legislation was a terrible thing. Uh, he, of course, tacked BB, and he's done these things from time to time. So uh, I think we can say we appreciate what Trump did. Uh, I think he was, um, you know, probably the right guy for 2016 and the problems we faced then. But I think 2024 calls for a different kind of leadership, someone that can harness that America first policy agenda, uh, but actually win against the Democrats on all these fronts. One of the things that I have been saying a lot the last few months is it's not just time to message the MAGA and market the MAGA. We actually have to do the MAGA. That's kind of what I hear you say. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he was in Iowa probably two weeks ago, and he was talking about his promise to build the wall and have Mexico pay for it, which obviously didn't happen. And his, his excuse for it was, well, there was no legal mechanism done to make Mexico pay for the wall. He couldn't just tell them to give him money. I was at those rallies. I remember that. But the reality is he actually could have had Mexico do it. No, Mexico's just not going to give us billions of dollars. But he could have imposed fees on the remittances for people that make money here and remit money to Mexico or Central America, South America. You'd raise billions and billions of dollars. So that was kind of the most famous promise that's been made in modern politics, his core promise for his 2016 campaign. And I think, you know, I think he probably wanted to follow through on it, but he didn't, wasn't able to bring that in for a landing. So we'll do that. We'll do the remittances fees. We'll have billions of dollars flowing in and we'll build the wall. uh, No problem. But we don't really have time. Uh, We're not getting a mulligan on 2024. You know, if we lose the election and then we're, we're having the recriminations again, like we've had the last three cycles, that doesn't do any good. But even if you win, if you have a, a, a lame president like Trump and we don't convert on this stuff, that's going to be our last chance for a while because the Dems will come back with reckless abandon in the ensuing elections. I want to come back in the final part of our interview and discuss Israel in the Middle East and where things go from there. But since you brought this up, I, I would be remiss without talking about what's going on right now on Capitol Hill. Obviously, people may or may not know, before you were governor of Florida, you served in Congress. You were one of the uh, the foundational members of the, of the House Freedom Caucus. And I, I saw a tweet this morning from Byron York at the Washington Examiner, uh, surmising that Republicans really aren't serious about governing. They would prefer to be in an opposition party. And, and I have said to my audience for many, many years that Republicans really, in many cases, on a national level, collectively can't govern, govern because too much of the party collectively is at odds with its own base. And when it gets a majority and has to govern, that brings that out in the open and creates dissension. And there's a lot more money that you can raise off of being an opposition party than actually governing. You have proven as governor of Florida that you can govern. Uh, you can govern from the right. You can turn your state in the matter in, in the span of one term redder than states like Texas and Alabama and do so by winning people over at the exact same time. What's what is it? What it, why have you been able to accomplish this in Florida, Ron, in one term and, and Republicans in Washington really since the the contract with America? 
have really struggled to do anything that that completely revolutionizes or radical or, or changes the paradigm in Washington D.C. with majorities since then. Is it is it capability? Is it conviction? Is it a little bit of both? So it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, we really haven't delivered as Republicans probably since the contract with America, where we had a clear vision and we and we were able to bring a lot of that to fruition. Uh, when you don't have the presidency, I think the problem for us has been is that the leadership in the Congress, they're just not representative of the voting base that we have. Uh, our candidates run on certain issues to win primaries and even general elections. And it's almost like once they get to Washington, they got to just forget about all that, forget about everything they said. And it's just kind of business as usual. That is just untenable because you can't keep a governing coalition together if you're not delivering on what you said. When Trump came in, we had an opportunity to to do it because we had the, the Congress and the, the House and the Senate. And President Reagan didn't have a Republican House for eight years, and he was still able to get big things done. And I think what happened was um, uh, President Trump made the decision to subcontract out his agenda to Speaker Ryan and the people in the in the Congress. And so he was coming in on immigration, the wall, some of those big things. What Ryan wanted to do were things like the tax bill and some of us. And I'm not saying it was a bad tax bill, but any Republican president you could have seen signing that tax bill. Mm -hmm. They didn't really do a lot of America first stuff. So I think those two years was a huge missed opportunity. We did not deliver nearly what we could have delivered based on uh, what was out there. Now, in Florida, I set the agenda as the governor. It's a big state. I get the media coverage. A typical representative's not going to be well known. So back in their districts, what people tell them is, "You better be with the governor. You better be supporting the governor." So it's really a bottom-up thing where my vision is resonating with our voters and attracting new voters, and then they're pressuring their representatives uh, to be supportive, or even if they're not pressuring their representatives, our representatives fear that if they cross our agenda. And someone's going to run against them in the primary and run ads saying this person didn't support the governor. But ultimately, I think it just it requires vision and leadership to get this right. But I think our voters are really losing patience because it's been a lot of years mm-hmm. of suboptimal results. Let's close up with what's happening in the Middle East. And I mean, I I have seen you everywhere uh, really behaving and performing as a president should. And I think some of the most impressive things I've seen is the messaging that you have carried with you on MSNBC and CNN, speaking to the whole of America. It's really no different than what you would say talking to a righty like me. Um, the, the You've made these issues accessible to a lot of Americans. They're very complex. You haven't dumbed them down, but you've made them accessible. You've articulated clear mission objectives and goals uh, and clear strategy. Um, I don't think any other national figure, either Trump or Biden or anybody else I've seen, has done this. And during COVID, the one true crisis we saw in the Trump presidency, he basically created Anthony Fauci as a de facto prime minister to speak to the other half of the country that hated him and then never uh, really got the, the full power of his presidency back. Instead, I see you going into hostile media and speaking to the whole of America as a president would, regardless of what they think about you politically and clearly articulating things that even morning Joe is having a hard time pushing back on in real time as you are. Where does that come from? Is that also capability or is that conviction? Well, I think it's both. um, But I think it's also just a realization that uh, in this primary, you know, I used to think in Republican primaries, 
you kind of could just do Fox News and, and talk radio and all that. Um, and one, I don't think that's enough. But two, there's just the fact that our conservative media sphere, uh, you know, it's not necessarily promoting conservatism. They've got agendas, too. And so you got to navigate that. But I just have to come to grips with the fact that uh, I can do great things as governor. Some of those folks aren't going to aren't going to promote that. Uh, because it doesn't fit their agenda. And that's fine. I mean, I'm a big boy. I'll take it. So there are voters out there who watch some of these other programs who vote in Republican primaries in Iowa and definitely in New Hampshire. So I need to be out there. We've been on Bill Maher. We've been on uh, uh, CBS. We've been NBC. I'm going to do Face the Nation uh, this weekend uh, on, on the Sunday show. We're going to do all this stuff. And I think it's just, look, we're right on the issues, Steve. Uh, we have a record that's delivered big results, and it's hard for them to do that. Most of the corporate press attacks on me over the years have been false narratives. Mm-hmm. So it's actually easy for me to be there if they want to try to bring up any of those phony controversies. I can just completely uh, uh, tear it apart. And then, of course, going forward, they're in the position where they're trying to run interference with Biden. But even independents don't buy that. I mean, they understand that this guy's just been missing in action. He's not leading. He's not capable of leading, uh, given his condition. And, and that's just the reality. So, yeah, we're going to be we'll be out there a lot. We'll be doing it. I think it is important to uh, get out of our silos. Now, as governor, I didn't deal with the national corporate press, partially because my view was they don't really care about Florida. They're going to swoop in, try to distort something. Then they leave. It's kind of like drive by journalism. And I was like, look, I just show up everywhere. I speak to local TV. They put me on. They do that. Floridians will know. So all the phony narratives, Floridians just reject it. And I think that was the right approach. National situation, though, there's a zeitgeist that's out there. Even on our primary voters, some of this stuff is there. So I've got to be in there in that fight. Last question. We've now, if, if this attack that happened in Israel over the weekend, or last weekend, if it had happened on our own soil, Governor, it would be the, one of the five deadliest terrorist attacks in American history. Over 25 Americans now confirmed killed. We look at over 1,000 Israelis confirmed killed. When you prorate that for the American population, you're talking about something that would amount to tens of thousands, basically more, more Americans than died in the whole of the Vietnam War would have died in this terrorist attack. What does victory look like? And what's the U.S.'s role in achieving that victory? And is that victory achievable with the current leadership in place in both Israel and the U.S.? What victory looks like is the elimination of Hamas as a a force, the infrastructure uprooted and destroyed to where there is no functioning Hamas anymore. I do think Israel can accomplish that. It is not going to be our role to have uh, our troops involved in that fight. Israel can defend itself. I've been a strong supporter of the U.S.-Israel relationship, as well as supporting uh, their defense needs as much as we can. And, and it's really relatively small amount of money. Um, but what I always liked about Israel is they never asked us to displace their responsibilities. They meet their responsibilities, and then we're complementing are supplementing what they're doing so that they're able to defend their country even better. So that's what it'll be going forward. There's not going to be, you know, a need to make this America's war. I think the most important thing we do, even apart from providing some assistance as that may be necessary, is just having the clear moral clarity 
that they have a right to defend themselves to the hill because you're already seeing corporate press start to attack them. They tell Gaza people to leave and the Hamas tells the Gaza people to stay because they want them to be human shields. That is not Israel's fault if Hamas is having people stay. That is Hamas's fault for putting them in those situations. So as the days and weeks go on and maybe even months go on, I think that's going to be something that's important because Israel's been facing this, not at this level in terms of the barbarity and the extent of the attack, but they've been facing these terrorist groups. And what happens is they respond, then there's pressure, and then they kind of pull back. And that just kind of has perpetuated a cycle. I think it's time for the cycle to end. Hmm. Uh, I think that Israel can get that done. We can help by turning the financial screws on the Iranians. Biden's allowed them to get tens of billions of dollars in oil revenue. That's going to go fund terrorism. So tighten up on Iran. Don't let, don't give them any financial uh, uh, ability, and uh, that will dry up money going to Hamas and uh, and Hezbollah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Israel is capable of winning this fight. Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, thank you very much for the time. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. It's been a very impressive week. Okay, take care. God bless you. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.